there are broadly three ways to think about love in the Christian tradition. The first is negative. It associates love with carnal desire, a matter of the flesh, something to be withstood. Besides being miserable, it's not a view that sits well with St Paul's view, that love is the greatest of the three virtues that abide, surpassing faith and hope. But it certainly has a healthy eye for self-deception, and the way we find ourselves justifying all kinds of manipulation and exploitation under the name of love. The second is romantic. It tends to have an uncritical link to Hallmark and perceive that there's one for me out there and be rather overly focused on weddings. The third is more truly theological. Rather than see all religious desire as a sublimated form of sexual desire, as Freud would have it, it turns things round and suggests all sexual desire is a sublimated desire for God. This last understanding offers a healthy way to read the Song of Songs, a book many have struggled to reconcile with a Puritan account of Christian love. I once attended a wedding where the bridegroom's first wife had died six weeks after giving birth to their first child. Five years later, her husband married again. The preacher cited Song of Songs, saying, Lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear upon the earth. The time of singing of birds is come. But then, when it came to the vows, after saying, Will you take this man to be your husband? He gestured to the groom's five-year-old son to walk forward and said to the bride, Will you take this boy to be your son? And then asked, Will you take this woman to be your mother? Here's Healy Willen's version of this thrilling text. What thrilled people about Jesus and mesmerises us today is that he modelled a new way of being with one another and with God. The offer of forgiveness for the past, which we call faith, and eternal life for the future, which we call hope, took away the regret, shame, fear and anxiety that overshadows so much of human life, 
and opened up an unknown and unprecedented freedom, grace, creativity and trust. If you've tasted this truth, you'll never be thirsty again. Somewhere between 300 and 1100, a monk wrote a radical meditation on this truth, which recognised, in a way the Church has often been slow to do, that the Holy Spirit can make that love present wherever it chooses, and that the places where such love shows up are called the Kingdom. It's still sometimes difficult for many to accept that love can show up without the Church claiming the credit for it. But as this famous hymn, traditionally sung at the foot-washing service on Maundy Thursday each year, put it, where charity and love are, there is God.
Perhaps the most beautiful hymn about love was written by Samuel Crossman, a contemporary of George Herbert, who became Dean of Bristol just before he died in 1684. The hymn was practically unknown before it appeared in the public school hymn book in 1903. What propelled it to the front rank of hymns was the tune written by John Ireland at the behest of Hersey Diemer for his book Songs of Praise, published in the 1920s. My Song is Love Unknown speaks of unparalleled love shown to the loveless that they might lovely be. Using rhetorical questions to articulate the speaker's uncomprehension, the hymn builds to a climax where astonishment, irony and wonder turn into praise. If this is love, I could stay in this place forever. Rage and spark.